Well, I told you last week that I had intended to cover a lot more of 1 Samuel and um, realized even before I got up to preach that that wasn't going to happen. I, I can't cover five chapters of, of the story of 1 Samuel. Um, so, But I'm going to be in 1 Samuel chapter 11 and 12. I'm going to uh, take care of that this morning. I just about was going to skip it and move on, but there are some things at the end of chapter 12 that I just felt were too important for me to drop the ball on. And so we're going to go back and catch that this morning. Um, and when you um, come to 1 Samuel chapter 1, we are hit instantly with questions about Bible translation um, as we approach our text today. Um, you know, we, we ask this question, how do we know which texts are the most reliable texts from which we translate Bibles from? Because we have a lot, we have found more um, texts today than what was even available when King James uh, translated uh, the King James Version of the Bible. And, and so we have to do all this scientific work to try to figure out which one is closest to the original. Uh, and of course, we don't know for sure which you know, what document is perhaps the, the most original and authentic and all of that. And then scholars get together and they compare texts with one another and all of that. So there's a lot of work that goes into Bible translation just in figuring out what is the most authentic um, original work of the scriptures. The other question that we run into this morning is, what do we do when the text that we are translating from that we judge to be the most reliable varies a little bit from the other texts that we have used to um, translate former scriptures uh, or, or translations that we've had. For instance, you will find that this is one of the key texts in the scriptures today because when you go to verse 1, there is a huge footnote at the bottom of your Bibles. Now, I personally believe that that is the very best way to handle that. Um, the, the Dead Sea Scrolls were found in 1947 in Israel, um, and some of those scholars, um, some scholars believe that they provide uh, some of the best uh, texts and most reliable texts to date um, from um, for, for Samuel. But First Samuel chapter 11, and of course, in the time it was written, we didn't have chapters or verse numbers or anything, but there's this whole passage there that we find in the Dead Sea Scrolls that wasn't in the King James or any of the Bibles translated prior to that. And so what they did here is they just put it down in a footnote for us, and I think that's the very best way to handle that, than adding it to uh, what we already know. But I want you to see this background, and it reads this. Now Nahash, king of the Ammonites, oppressed the Gadites and the Reubenites severely. He gouged out all their right eyes and struck terror and dread in Israel. Not a man remained among the Israelites beyond the Jordan whose right eye was not gouged out by Nahash, king of the Ammonites, except the 7,000 men fled from the Ammonites and entered Jabesh-Gilead, about a month later, and then it goes into what you and I have as verse 1 there. So we know from that historical reference there that Nahash, king of the Ammonites, had already been in Israel, that he had already 
plucked out the right eye of a whole bunch of Israelites and 7,000 men escaped and they went to Jabesh Gilead and they went there and King um, Nahash found out about their location and so he went to get those 7,000 men and pluck out their right eyes. And, and so that's, that's what we're finding out as we go here um, and then we get to our text this morning. Nahash the Ammonite went up and besieged Jabesh Gilead, and all the men of Jabesh said to him, Make a treaty with us, and we will be subject to you. So here they are. They said, You know, if you'll just make a treaty with us, hopefully we can keep our eyes, <laughs> both of them, and we will just be your servants. And he goes on, uh, Nahash the Ammonite replied, I will make a treaty with you only on the condition that I gouge out the right eye of every one of you and so bring disgrace on all Israel. It had nothing to do with him of just servants, of just you know taking some people and make them servants of his. He wanted to disgrace Israel. He wanted to humiliate them. He wanted to humiliate the God of Israel and and just do all of that. And so the elders of Jabesh said to him, give us seven days so we can send messengers throughout Israel. If no one comes to rescue us, we will surrender to you. And so, you know, they're they're not really standing up. Um, they, they, They are backing down. They're giving up. Um, but they want to call on Israel and see if the Israelites will rally around them and come and, and help them. And so, uh, for whatever reason, Nahash agreed to that. He said, I'll give you seven days. We'll see what happens. He was pretty confident that, you know, nothing was going to uh, get in the way anyway. So then it goes on in verse 4, and it says, When the messengers came to Gibeah of Saul and reported these terms to the people, they all wept aloud. Just then, Saul was returning from the fields behind his oxen, and he asked, What is wrong with everyone? Why are they weeping? Then they repeated to him what the men of Jabesh had said to him. And so you just see this, this interesting, the word gets all around, the Israelites are grieving and, and weeping, and, and King Saul is out in the field with his oxen, plowing probably. Doing field work. He is the king of Israel, but there is still at this point in his, in his kingship this humility that he can just go out and continue to, to run the family farm and all of that. Um, he has not become arrogant yet at this point in his life as a king. Um, but he wants to know what is bothering, what is grieving all the Israelites. And they told him. And when Saul heard these words, the Spirit of God came powerfully upon him. I want you to notice there. You know, the title of my message this morning is, is Saul the good start. He had a bad end, but he started out good. And the second thing about Saul here, first of all, he was humble. But secondly, he allowed the Spirit of God to come powerfully upon him. And then thirdly, he burned with anger. Now, most of the time, when you and I burn with anger, it's not a good thing. Could we all pretty much agree with that? I was just reminded, we talked this last week about vacation, um, and my kids all remember something I did on vacation years ago that I had completely forgot about. 
We were camping, tenting. I'm not a tent person anyway. But it rained the whole time, it seemed like. And um, we were up in Banff, Canada. And um, I'd had enough nights. And we, we were crowded. We didn't have a place to dry out the tent and all of that. And one night, we just it just soaked downpoured and everything, and I got up in the morning. They were all huddled up, locked up in the van. And I'm out there in the tent, and I get up, and I take the tent, and I wrap it up, and I stuff it in the garbage can. (laughs) I'd forgot all about that. In fact, I wondered here a while ago, I wonder what happened to our tent. (laughs) But they all remember, you know, most of the time when you and I get angry, it's not a good thing. But here's a case where Saul got angry and it was tied to the Spirit of God coming upon him in power. There is a time for righteous indignation and righteous anger. There are things that God's people should get upset about and angry about and you know, Saul had found that, and so we need to remember that. Saul got angry here, and he burned with anger, and what did he do? He did something constructive with his anger. Because that's usually the other thing that we do when we get anger. We do something that's not constructive. Saul did something constructive. He took his two oxen. The oxen probably didn't think it was very constructive. But he took his oxen, and he butchered them up, cut them into pieces, and then sent them out to all Israel and gave Israel the warning that if you don't come to the defense of these people and you don't follow Samuel and Saul here, this is what will happen to your oxen. <laughs> so, of course, nobody wanted to do that, but that was not yet enough warning um, because it goes on... Um, Saul says, this is what will be done to the oxen of anyone who does not follow Saul and Samuel. It goes on to say, then the terror of the Lord fell on the people and they came out together as one. Saul mustered them at Bezek and the men of Israel numbered 300,000 and those of Judah 30,000 men. That's quite an astonishing group of men that come out to fight Nahash, the king of the the Ammonites. 130,000 altogether. Now, it's interesting because Saul is still, he recognizes that while he is the king, he still needs to cooperate with Samuel. When he sends out that warning, he says, this is what will happen to your oxen if you don't follow Samuel and Saul, and he puts Samuel first. There was still that hint of, in Saul's start, of humility, a proper respect, of cooperation, of sharing the leadership with uh, leadership and authority with Samuel. And so he was wisely borrowing authority from Samuel and cooperating with him. And then the, the next thing you do is, you know, by cutting up the oxen, he's sending this visual symbol a visual means of, of the leadership. He's, he's saying, look at this. That, you know, they could look at that piece of oxen and it was a visual symbol for them that united the country together behind him. And, and then, of course, the terror of the Lord falls and they put this whole group together. 
Well, they told the messengers who had come, say to the men of Jabesh Gilead, by the time the sun is hot tomorrow, you will be rescued. So when those messengers went and reported this to the men of Jabesh, they were elated. And they said to the Ammonites, tomorrow we will surrender to you and you can do to us whatever you like. Well, the next day, Saul separates his 130,000 uh, men into three divisions. And during the last watch of the night, they broke into the camp of the Ammonites, slaughtered them until the heat of the day. And those who were scattered, uh, survived were scattered so that no two of them were left together. So at 3 o'clock in the morning, Saul has got his, his, his men together uh, and the soldiers break into the Ammonite uh, camp and they slaughter them. And then this is the result of this. After they go in and they, they battle the Ammonites, the people then said to Samuel, Who was it that asked, Shall Saul reign over us? Now this is from last week or the previous week's sermon. When, when Saul became king, there were some people who said, We're not going to honor him as king. He's a nobody to us. And Saul just said, No, um, he just ignored it. Now, in his later days, he would not have ignored that. But he ignored it then. And now Saul's got some people who are kind of egging him on into temptation. He says, you know, you have proven yourself. We ought to go get revenge on those people who said they wouldn't follow you as their king. And Saul practices wisdom and he turns the attention back to God. He says, no, this is a day to celebrate God and what God has done for us and, and to celebrate this victory. It is not a day to practice revenge, uh, to get revenge. And then Samuel, and so that, that's another reason why Saul started out with a good start as king. He had that kind. He wanted to celebrate the victories and not, and not go for revenge. Then Samuel said to the people, Come, let us go to Gilgal, and there renew the kingship. Saul's already king. But they need to renew that kingship. You know, the same thing is true in our spiritual lives. We have made Jesus our Lord and Savior. We've made him... Uh, not only Savior, but Lord of our lives. But you and I need to renew that commitment from time to time. Um, and I think all the more. Um, we talked about temptation and all the in Sunday school this morning and all the the ways that Satan tempts us today that you know we weren't tempted at in the in the past with all the technology and what's on uh, TV and Hollywood and internet and all that kind of stuff. We have to be a lot more careful today. And, and I think we, we just need to be mindful of those kind of things. And I've lost my place. I don't even know where I'm at. There. So they renew their kingship. They renew Saul. They, they make a covenant with Saul. We will be loyal to you. And every one of us needs to make that renew ourselves to God. And we need to do that whether it's every morning in prayer, but we need to renew ourselves and say to God, today I'm going to serve you again. I renew my commitment to you. Um, 
So all the people went to Galgal, and they made Saul king in the presence of the Lord, and they sacrificed fellowship offerings before the Lord, and Saul and all the Israelites held a great celebration. Now, verse, verse 12, or chapter 12, is where I want to get to um, today. And Samuel said to all Israel, I have listened to everything you have said to me, and I set a king over you. Um, the, the title in your Bibles, um, probably, especially if you're in the NIV, is um, Samuel gives his farewell. <laughs> now, it's interesting that he's giving a farewell here because he's not going away. He is still the prophet. He is the prophet all the way through the life of King Saul. And well into the life of King David, Samuel's still there, but he's giving a farewell, and he's giving a farewell because he's changing roles. He was the prophet and the leader of Israel. But now there's a king. And so the king is now the leader, and he is just the prophet of God. And so he comes and he's giving this farewell address. And this is what he tells them. I, you know, I did what you asked me to do. I, I've given you a king. And he says, as for me, I'm old and gray. And my sons are here with you. I have been your leader from my youth until this day. And then he gives them a challenge. I want you to stop and think about me. And he says, testify against me in the presence of the Lord and his anointed Whose ox have I taken? Whose donkey have I taken? Whom have I cheated? Whom have I oppressed? From whose hand have I accepted a bribe to make my eyes shut? If I have done any of these things, I will make it right. Now, all of that is a reference back to last Sunday's text where we looked at the passage where Samuel tells the people, if you get a king, the king will take, will take, will take, will take, will take, will take. Six times in that passage, he says, if you get a king, he will be about taking from you, where God is a generous giver. And so Samuel says, I've been your leader. Have I taken from you? And he says, if I have taken advantage of you, I want you to tell me and I will make it right right now. And the people respond, you have not cheated or oppressed us. You have not taken anything from anyone's hand. And Samuel said to them, the Lord is witness against you, and also his anointed is witness this day, Saul, that you have not found anything in my hand. And they said, he is witness. Hmm. He had lived with incredible integrity. And he contrasts that with the king that they're going to have in Saul and down the road where they, the kings take advantage of the people. Well, then Samuel said to the people, It is the Lord who appointed Moses and Aaron and brought your ancestors out of Egypt. Now then, stand here because I'm going to confront you with evidence before the Lord as to the righteous acts performed by the Lord for you and your ancestors. So Saul is not, Samuel's not done here. Samuel wants the Israelites to realize again and again, he's already been at this, you know, a couple chapters here at 1 Samuel, and he's still added his farewell address. He's saying, you guys have really made a mistake here. You were not to have a king. You asked for one. You got one. And I'm going to remind you again what you're trading. You are trading leadership of God for leadership by a king. 
And so he, he reminds them of all the things that God had done. And in this passage, he mentions the Lord 30 times in this short passage. He mentions the Lord and says, the Lord, he is the one who's supposed to be your king. But you have chosen someone else to be your king. After Jacob entered Egypt, they cried to the Lord for help. And the Lord sent Moses and Aaron who brought your ancestors out of Egypt and settled them in this place. And what did they do? The Lord sent someone to you. What did you do? You forgot the Lord your God. And he sold them into the hand of Sisera, and he goes on, and and they just have one enemy after another because they forget the Lord their God. And And then he says, And they cried out to the Lord again, and he said, And they said, we have sinned, we have forsaken the Lord, we have served the Baals and the Asterisks. Now deliver us from the hands of our enemies and we will serve you. And again, the Lord sent judges. And he he sends some examples here, Zerubbabel, Barak, Jephthah, and Samuel. And he says, those judges delivered you from the hands of your enemies and all around you so that you lived in safety. Even after they were serving other gods... God would still send judges to deliver them. That's how good God was to them. And then Samuel says, But then you saw Nahash, the king of the Ammonites, and you said, Man, God isn't cutting it for us anymore. We need a king like all the other nations have. (laughs) Now, we can make a little bit of fun of that, But we can't go too far. Just think if all the men in McKenzie County had had some enemy come in, plunge out our right eyes. What would we do? What would we want? What would be what would be what would we be willing to compromise on to protect ourselves? Those Israelites, they looked at all those men who had lost their right eyes. They looked at those 7,000 that they thought were about to lose their right eyes. And they said, we want a king. (laughs) This, This Nahash, he's bad news and we want a king. And God reminded them. That they should have, if God, if they could trust God to get them through the Red Sea, if they could trust God to, through all those times with all the judges, they should have remind, they should have been uh, reminded that God could get them through dealing with Nahash the Ammonite also. And so he says, when you saw that Nahash king of the Ammonites was moving against you, you said to me, no, we want a king to rule over us, even though the Lord your God was king. Now, here is the king you have chosen, the one you asked for. See, the Lord has set a king over you. If you fear the Lord and serve him and obey him and do not rebel against his commands, and if both you and the king who reigns over you follow the Lord your God, good. I want you to notice there what Samuel is doing there. He says, if you fear the Lord and serve and obey and do not rebel against his commands... That is good. But it's no longer just a matter of the people serving God. Now they have a king to serve also. They have divided loyalties, just like you and I have to be loyal to our government and 
to God. They were... They had just introduced themselves to divided loyalties, and that works out just fine as long as both of them are serving God. But that's the trick. The trick is it is pretty hard for, you know, us to count on ourselves being faithful, (laughs) let alone those in power over us to be faithful to God at the same time. And, And Samuel says, if, you are faithful and the government is faithful to the things of God, then it will be good for you as a nation. But if either you or the government betrays God, it will not be good for you. Israel had just made a major mistake. Because now it wasn't just the people. It was also their king, their government, that had to be faithful to God in order to have the hand of blessing by God. Um, So, then Samuel, Samuel says, Now then, stand still and see this great thing the Lord is about to do before your eyes. Now, I don't know about you, but great didn't mean good here. It just meant powerful things. It is not, is it not wheat harvest now? I will call on the Lord to send thunder and rain and you will realize what an evil thing you did in the eyes of the Lord when you asked for a king. And when I was in Israel, we're, we're in drought here and we, we get how dry it is and we're scared of the fire danger and all of that. But one thing I, I learned when I was in Israel that they definitely, I mean, that land, if it wasn't for underground water and irrigation, it would just be scorched earth. Uh, and pretty much before Israel became a nation, it was scorched earth over there. Um, pretty amazing. So when they get to the point of harvest time over there, it was absolutely unheard of that there would be rain or a thunderstorm or anything. And when it comes to harvest time, you don't want rain. And Samuel says to them, watch this great thing the Lord is going to do because you asked for a king and it's harvest time. There's going to be a major rainstorm with thunder and all of that. And sure enough, um, that same day the Lord said thunder and rain. And so all the people stood in awe of the Lord and of Samuel. And then the people said to Samuel, pray to the Lord your God for your servants so that we will not die, for we have added to all other sins the evil of asking for a king. This is where I wanted to get to today. This is what relates to the children's message this morning, is what do you do when you have messed up? (laughs) What do you do when you have failed spiritually? These people at this point recognize it. They know they have failed, and, and they say, you know, they remember Achan. They remember the stories of the Old Testament of God's wrath and his holiness and all of that. And they're afraid that God is just going to open up the ground and they're all going in. <laughs> they're afraid of severe wrath from God coming out uh, against them. And, and that is when Samuel replies to them these wonderful words. Do not be afraid, Samuel replied. Yes, You have done all this evil. 
Yet do not turn away from the Lord, but serve the Lord with all your heart. Do not turn away after useless idols. They can do no good, nor can they rescue you because they are useless. That is a fascinating, that is a wonderful passage. It, it, it is so full of hope and encouragement to us because the temptation for all of us, and, and this is a temptation that the devil gives us when we fail, is the temptation is always to run from God, to think there is no hope, that, that it's over with and all of that. And these people felt like it was over and Samuel says, no, don't be afraid. This is the time when you turn back to God, when you run to God, when you serve him with all of your heart. Um, he says, if you, if you run away from God, what do you, you're going to run to something. You never run away from God, but what you don't run to something else. And Samuel tells the people here, you can do that, but you will run to useless idols who can do you no good. They, will, they can't rescue you. They are useless. And the fact is, every time you and I run away from God, we run into something that is not good for us. We, we run to something that is useless that has no value, that can't rescue us, that can't help us. And so God has this much care for us that even when we sin, even when we fail, His wisdom for us is you never run away from Him. You run to Him. And you recommit to Him and and surrender your life to Him again because anything else you run to will never be good for you, And so um, he goes on, For the sake of his great name, the Lord will not reject his people, because the Lord was pleased to make you his own. As for me, far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord by failing to pray for you, and I will teach you the way that is good and right. Be sure to fear the Lord and serve him faithfully with your heart. Consider what great things he's done for you. Yet if you persist in doing evil... Both you and your king will perish. Well, what do we need to know today from this passage? Well, first of all, Saul started out well as a king. And he did that because he practiced humility. He allowed the spirit of God to come upon him in power. He was angry at the right things. He worked in cooperation with other people, with Samuel. He led Israel in scoring a victory against the Ammonites. And then he celebrated that victory and celebrated what God had done instead of choosing to revenge, get revenge against his enemies. But there are three things in this this story of of 1 Samuel chapter 11 and 12 that call us to do um, three things in our life. Number one, um, slide 17, Laura. Um, We need to renew your commitment to Jesus as Lord. Um, and, and we need to do that often. And, and that is Lordship. Not just, the, not just make Him Savior, but we need to make Him Lord. And then we need to imitate Samuel's character. Samuel was able to give that farewell address and he said, you know, if you, if you know of anything I've ever done, ever taken from you, any way that I've ever used you, um, I want to make that right. And so that speaks about holiness. That speaks about living a life of character and credibility. 
And then the last thing is, in spiritual failure, don't run from God, but rather run to God. Make restoration. God's heart for you is always restoration anytime we fail. 